Well, good morning, Chapel family. It's good to be together again uh, in this virtual space to be able to enjoy the wonderful time of worship that we've had together already, and now to be able to come together to the Lord's Word. I encourage you to take your Bibles out and turn with me to the book of Hebrews and chapter 12. The opening verses of this chapter are probably familiar to most of us, but there's a lot packed into them, and uh, we're going to take some time over the next several Sundays to unpack these first three verses from Hebrews chapter 12. Over the past eight weeks, uh, we've been studying through the previous chapter, Hebrews 11, learning about how we are to live by faith uh, through a survey, uh, as we've gone through a survey of Old Testament examples of heroes of faith. And now the author shifts from history to an analogy, an analogy that depicts the life of faith as a race. Follow along with me as I read verse 1 of Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The guns sounded. The runners took off. Hundreds, thousands of them. You were one of them. A marathon. 26 miles, 385 yards. You began well. In the cool, crisp air of the morning. But somewhere along the way, things began to change. As the sun got higher and higher, it got hotter and hotter, and now the heat seems oppressive. You're drenched in sweat. It seems like this course has been going uphill forever. You're, you're not sure you can make it to the top of the next hill, much less to the finish of the race. All it seems you can hear anymore is the pounding of your heart and your chest and the, your heavy feet hitting the pavement. And you begin to wonder, should I just quit now? The narrative here in Hebrews 12 has shifted from the history lessons in, of chapter 11 to now this analogy of the race. But the purpose of the message remains the same. This book of Hebrews is a letter written to discouraged believers and it's seeking to encourage them to continue, to stay the course, to run this race of life well, to live lives of faith and by faith. So as we come to our study this morning, let's ask the Lord for His grace. Father, we thank You for this opportunity to be together and to dig into Your Word. We ask as we're here that You would meet with us here. This morning, open our spiritual eyes, unclog, as it were, our spiritual ears, so that we might hear from your word what is needed that we might run this race of life well. This morning, convict us if needed, correct us, teach us, encourage us, strengthen us, heal us, whatever is needed this morning also that Jesus Christ might be glorified. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. 
Today we're going to just focus on that very first phrase of this verse here in, in uh, verse 1 of chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, it says. A, a cloud uh, means a great number, a large number. A cloud of witnesses not means not just a person or two here or there, but a large crowd. I notice it, it doesn't just say a cloud, but a great cloud. And it doesn't just say a great cloud, but it says so great a cloud. In other words, he's piling on terms here to get us to realize that whatever this group of witnesses is, it is a huge assembly a massive gathering of witnesses. But it begs the question, just who are these witnesses? What are they doing? And how does their presence help us to live lives of faith? I've heard this passage most of my life, as many of you have. And often when we read this verse, we envision a stadium and the racetrack there inside the stadium and this crowd of people in the bleacher seats of heaven who are cheering us on uh, in our life of faith. Other times, perhaps we picture this more like the Lake St. Louis Triathlon, which though it's been canceled for this year because of the pandemic, in past years, it's gone right by my house. And all along the course of the triathlon, there are people who gather by the side of the road, sitting in their lawns or, or standing in their driveways, and there they're waving and cheering as the participants go by. But that's generally the picture that comes to mind when we read about these witnesses. We think about uh, onlookers, bystanders, spectators who have gathered to watch the race of our life or in the case of some of us, they've come to see the latest train wreck, the latest crash in our race. But this word actually has a different connotation. The Greek word here for witness is the word martus. It's the word from which we get that English word martyr. Originally, however, the word martyr didn't mean someone who dies for a cause but rather it referred to someone who gives witness or someone who bears witness. It was in those early centuries of the church, however, that so many Christians lost their lives because they gave witness for Jesus that they, uh, the meaning of the word shifted from meaning just a witness to someone who dies for their belief. And so the point is that these witnesses are are being witnesses of us, being witness, excuse me, not being witnesses of us, but they are being witnesses to us. These people are giving witness to us. They are not spectators, they are givers of testimonies. They are not observers, they are our instructors. And that information helps us a little with understanding who these people uh, what they're doing and who they maybe are, but we still don't know who they are. And we don't know exactly what are they witnessing to us. Notice with me the first verse, it's first word of this verse. It is therefore. 
If you've been a student of the Bible very long, you know that that's an important word. And if you're new to this, understand whenever you see that word, therefore, understand it's a, it's a pivot word. It's a word that, that uh, always sends us backwards because it tells us that what follows this word is dependent upon the things that have preceded it of what has come before. And of course, since we just spent the last eight weeks studying what precedes this back in chapter 11, we know that what precedes this is, is loaded with the stories of many great heroes of the faith. People like Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Moses, as well as we saw two weeks ago, unnamed heroes who were victorious heroes. And last week, unnamed heroes who were suffering heroes of the faith. In other words, these heroes of the faith in chapter 11 are the witnesses that are here in verse 1 of chapter 12. The witnesses are the heroes of faith. But again, the point is not that these heroes of the faith are like spectators sitting up in, in uh, their lawn chairs or the bleachers of heaven uh, looking down on us and watching our lives. In fact, while I can't give chapter and verse, I'm pretty sure that uh, there are other things in heaven that are far, far more captivating and far, far more intriguing than your life or mine. That's what occupies them, something like the glory of God, which occupies, it seems, when we in Revelation, all of the attention of heaven. So I don't think that these, these folks are witnesses because they're looking down on us. Rather, the point is that as witnesses, they are witnessing to us in that they have shown us how to run in this race of faith. Their witness isn't, however, lectures and theories giving explanations about faith. They're not sermons. Rather, their witness is the record of their life. The records that now stand before you and me as examples of how to live by faith, examples of how to finish well. These witnesses have blazed the trail. They have run the race ahead of us and shown us how to live. And all of that is much more helpful in helping us understand who they are and what they're doing, but there's even more. As long as we're Looking at that first word, therefore, that tells us to look backwards. Let's keep looking backwards uh, just a little bit. Let's go to the verses that immediately precede uh, this first verse of chapter 12. We're going to go back to verse 39 of chapter 11. Just look up two verses. Follow along, I'll read. It says, and all these, talking about these Old Testament heroes of faith, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. These faithful saints have run their races, but our text tells us that their races were not completed with them. It says, apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Now that word, in the Greek, the word for perfect uh, can be translated to mean completed or finished. So apart from us, it says, they should not be finished. They should not be completed. Their race isn't done because their race is not a solo race. 
Our race, then the analogy here in chapter 12, is not a solo race. Our race, we discover here, is a relay race, where a relay race is where one person runs and then they pass off the baton to the next person in the race, and it keeps going until everyone has finished their leg, their part of the race. And so we realize that these witnesses aren't just examples. They are examples to show us how to run, but it's more than that. They are our partners in this race. They are our teammates. They are our fellow runners. The implication here is that these ancient heroes of the faith ran their leg of the race, and then they passed the baton. And the baton has passed to these Hebrew readers who are reading this letter, and it's their turn to run. And now today, as we read this letter, as it were, over their shoulders, we can say that the baton has now been passed to us. It's now our leg of the race. It's our turn to run. The race, their race isn't complete. It's not finished without us. And the race isn't won until all of our teammates, all of our team's runners have crossed the finish line. Again, back in chapter 11, it tells the stories of 11 heroes of the faith. Their stories are briefly told as we've looked at that, those little overviews, story overviews. Then the author we saw a couple of weeks ago, he names six more uh, heroes of the faith, but he says he doesn't have time to tell their stories. He expects us to know them, fill in the blanks. Then he goes on to talk about unnamed victorious heroes of the faith. Then he talks about unnamed suffering heroes of the faith. And then, as we just read a minute ago in verse 40, he connects those, those heroes those, to these discouraged hero, excuse me, discouraged Hebrew believers who are reading this letter. And now here back in chapter 12 and verse 1, I note that it says that you and I, as we're reading, we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. We're surrounded by these witnesses, and I may be going out on a limb here, but it seems to me that these witnesses who are surrounding us, while primarily referring to those named and unnamed heroes, Old Testament heroes of faith in chapter 11, they likely extend beyond them to include all of the faithful saints, all of the other faithful believers of the Old Testament, those listed in the New Testament and the scores of other faithful believers throughout history who have lived as examples of faith. In fact, when we get over into the next chapter of Hebrews, chapter 13, in verse 7, it says that uh, regarding some, apparently some faithful believers that they had personally known who have died, it says, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word to you, or spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So we're looking here at, uh, at witnesses that are, uh, the Old Testament heroes. They are witnesses that are to us, not witnesses of us. They are uh, they are witnesses who are also 
our teammates in this race of life. And I think that it includes all the believers from the beginning of the scriptures up till even our present time who have faithfully lived out the Christian life. So what are we to do with this? It says we're surrounded by this great cloud. What does that mean to you and me today? Let me suggest three ways to apply the truth of this verse to our life today. The first is that we are to remember our heritage of faith. We have been blessed with a heritage of faith. And for that, we need to be thankful. You and I are here as people of faith, as followers of Christ today, because uh, because of the faithful living of others who have gone before us. Those who have shared the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with you and me. Those who lived before us as godly, with godly examples. If you and I stand by faith in Jesus Christ, it is because we are standing on the shoulders of a great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us. And so we need to be thankful. We need to give thanks and praise to God for those who have faithfully followed him and passed the heritage of faith to us. But we also remember our heritage of faith not only by being thankful, but by being encouraged. Be encouraged. These witnesses were called forward and and listed out for us in chapter 11 precisely so that they might encourage us. So we might realize that we are not not alone. We are not alone in this race. We are not alone in our struggles. We are not alone in our failures. We're not alone in our difficulties. Others have walked this path. They have run this race before us. And as we observe their struggles and we observe their failures and we observe their sufferings and we observe their victories, we can have confidence that the same God who got them through will get us through if we'll trust Him. You know, sadly, I have heard a few Christians say, I rarely read from the Old Testament except Psalms and Proverbs. I find it, you know, difficult or boring or whatever they say. And I, th- I think to myself, I think that's very sad because they are missing out on great encouragements and great hope that God desires for us, to fi- for us to find in the lives of the Old Testament saints. The book of Romans ver- chapter 15 says this in verse 4, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So be thankful, be encouraged. There's another thing that we can get as we remember our heritage of faith, and that is we are to be wise. We are to learn from those who have gone before, both learning from their successes and learning from their failures. We are foolish if we do not look to learn from those who have gone before. Matter of fact, if you want to learn how to run well, study the winners. I've told many times before here in this church the story of my college roommate who was a a marathon runner, placed in the Boston Marathon uh, the year we roomed together. Uh, That's a huge deal. 
But one thing I noticed about my roommate Roger was he, uh, not only was he uh, diligent and disciplined in training, but he also spent a lot of time reading and studying the lives of people who have won the Boston Marathon. He could tell you everything from how they trained to what they ate to their routine the day of the, the race to how they ran each leg of the race. He studied the winners. I learned a valuable lesson from him in that sport. I think it carries over here to this. We are to learn from the winners. And that's why Hebrews is one of the reasons in chapter 11 is put forth these folks who are the, the heroes of the faith. We're to learn from those who have won. There's a second application that we can get from this cloud of witnesses that is here. The reality that they exist And that is that you and I need to strive to run our race well. This this crowd of witnesses is here to remind us that we are in a race. That life is not just intended to be a, uh, you know, just where we sit around and do nothing. It's not sitting on the deck of a cruise ship. But we're in a race. We are to get into this race. I love the way the old preacher, J. Vernon McGee, wonderful radio preacher of last century, he commented on this passage. He said this, let's get into the race. Let's get moving and not just drift along. We are racers. I would say that one of the greatest dangers in the Christian life is the peril of just remaining stationary, of doing nothing. I think he nailed it. Not only are we to get into the race as we strive to run our race well, well, but we need to live faithfully as we run our race. How we live matters. Again, I've heard some Christians say from time to time during, during my lifetime, I've heard some Christians say, you know what, it's my life. And how I live is my business. What I do doesn't affect or bother anybody else. But this text tells us differently. We are running in a race. And as we've noted, it's not a solo race. It is a team sport. It's a relay race. And if we run well or if we falter, it affects others. Those who have run before us are counting on us to finish well. And it's our turn to run, and let's not drop the baton. I noticed it said back in verse 39 of chapter 11, we read it earlier, that even though these Old Testament heroes were commended by God for their faith, they did not receive what was promised. They didn't see the fulfillment of God's promises. When this letter was written, these folks had seen some of those promises Fulfilled. These New Testament believers had seen some of the promises. They had seen the Messiah come. Jesus came and he paid for sin. But then the New Testament closes with these early believers still waiting for Jesus' return and for him to bring the kingdom which he promised he would do. Matthew 25, 24, I should say. Now it's 2,000 years later. Millions of faithful saints later who've come between these first Hebrew uh, believers that are reading this letter and us. 
And we're still looking, we're still waiting for Jesus' return. We're still waiting for the kingdom. Jesus may return in our lifetime, maybe even today. But we must understand that until Jesus does return, the race isn't over. Because only then will the last one of our team cross the finish line. And so because we may well not be the last leg of this race, there's a third important application of this truth. We need to invest in the next generation. Those who come after us, those who enter this race and run this race after us are depending upon you and me, just as we have depended upon those who came before. How we need to set the pace for them, to be an example to be able to say to them, run like me. And we need to pass the baton. We need to invest in teaching and training and building the next generation who will be faithful followers of Jesus and run this race well until he comes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reality that we have a great cloud of witnesses, a whole host of people that you have put before us to encourage us because quite frankly, there are times we get discouraged, times we get tired in this race. And how helpful it is to look at these who have gone before, great men and women, and to see how they have lived faithfully and victoriously not because they are great and powerful, but because you are a great and faithful God. And as they trust you, you have enabled them to live faithfully, to live by faith. So Father, this morning we come and we ask that you would help us. Help us to learn from their examples. Help us to follow in their footsteps. Help us, Father, then to look to you and trust you, to believe you, to believe that you exist and that you are the rewarder of those who diligently seek you. So that we have, we are convicted in the, uh, in the assurance of the things to come that we live where the things that are unseen, that, have, that are so real because of our faith in you, that it translates into the dailies of our life. That we live today in the reality of heaven. So Father, help us to live as people of faith that we might then be set the pace and set the example for those who follow. And Father, by your grace, may you enable us here at the Chapel of the Lake, our church and our families,